0: Welcome back again to the Stories Beneath and my name is Margaret McKenna, I'm a visual artist, a visual storyteller, because I believe that every image has a story and every story has an image. So today I'm going to head down to County Kilkenny. I was there yesterday on nice long day trip in very mixed weather sun and showers but at least it wasn't like today because today is just absolutely miserable it's wild and windy and wet so very much not like springtime more wintry to be honest Um, but we were lucky down there because we managed to get step in and out of the showers and see what we wanted to see but having to say we wanted to see there is so much to see in county kilkenny and I will go get back to the place names because obviously that's what this podcast is about about how our old Irish placements have been deformed over the years and anglicized so they don't mean anything now until you translate them back to Irish. But um, Med- Kilkenny itself is the, considered the medieval capital city. and um, indeed I would I totally concur with that because you're literally walking through medieval history when you walk through that city lots of stories, and I'll get back to one in particular later on. But first, I want to go down to the south of the country or the county even um, to a place called Kilmog. And why I want to go to a place called Kilmog, the townland of Kilmog, is because there is an amazing dolmen or portal tomb um, in that area. And we, we were lucky enough to see it yesterday. Now, a portal tomb, you're talking, going, you're talking uh, Neolithic here, going way back to four and a half to five thousand years ago um the Kilmanog dolmen, and a dolmen by the way or portal tomb is whereby you've got these portal stones upright stones that support a massive capstone on top and indeed there's other stones as well to help support this size of these big the main capstone and when I say massive I mean they are this one in particular is huge I think it's the tallest one in Ireland it's 3.7 meters high in terms of the the portal stones and uh, the standing two standing stones and then the capstone actually reaches to over four meters high so it's very very tall i felt dwarfed completely beside it just real power in it um it just very very dramatic looking and it's very easy access it's, it's signposted and you can walk down to a nice little grassy little lane to it beside a lovely babbling stream and there was a nice lot of little cattle young cattle in the field beside us being very nosy and running alongside us and um, behind the fence um, but wondering what we were at. Quiet countryside, lovely rolling hills, um, rich green farmland, um, great for the cattle, certainly. Um, so that's where we were yesterday, our, our, our starting point. Well, one of our, wasn't our starting point, but it was our second point. We'll come back to my starting, my starting point later. <laughs> Um, I was really looking forward to seeing this because I could I could see by the pictures of it that it was uh, meant to be quite spectacular and I definitely wasn't disappointed. These portal tombs or diamonds were places of burial and perhaps we think places of worship or spiritual activity in some, of, of some description. Anyhow, yeah, We don't know what exactly they were used for because as I say they are so ancient we're talking as I say around 5000 years old and they're associated with the Neolithic people, and um, for example, the Balanahatti woman—the woman, woman whose body was found in Skelton, in Belfast—and she hailed from Anatolia, sort of over Turkish direction. So we're talking people are coming from the Middle East and settled in this country and built. They think most of our um cairns and dolmens, portal dolmens, etc., portal tombs, etc. Um, and it's just—it's so wonderful to think how many of these we have around the country because. I seem to be finding more and more of them on, you know, I, you know, I'd be following different things and searching different stuff all the time and everywhere you go, they're there. I mean, there's one not too far from us um, as a a leck, and it's just randomly in the corner of a field, a working field with cattle. There's no special way to get into it. You'd have to ask the farmer to go, but that's, they're just there. And we're lucky that they have not been destroyed over the years and perhaps you know all the superstitions that were here in Ireland—do the shield with the she, etc.—and not messing with ancient sites and respect, which was great to have the respect. But even if it was sometimes superstition, and um, for fear of something would happen to you, it has been a godsend for for these monuments because they have been kept safe for us to enjoy. And I just hope that as the future generations do keep them so for these purely for the respect you know there were superstitions maybe going rapidly and gone still there's people who would nowadays would still not mess with them even uh, for not not and i don't mean from the point of view of respect but from the point of view seriously of having something uh, bringing bad luck so anyway um this particular dolmen is uh, called lack um now this is actually Irish Irish words directly leac. Um, l-e-a-c l-e-a-c is the first word and it refers to a um what would you call it it's kind of like a flagstone so or, or a flat area so like for example lack and iron would be uh, an ice a sheet of ice but lack would also refer to maybe a pavement so it's kind of a flat stony a flat sheet of something um, in this case obviously referring to the large capstone a large flat you know that area of like a big flat um flagstone that's been put up on top of the dolmen um on scal is an interesting one because s-c-a-l in irish means a burst um for example scala is a burst of a sunburst a burst of sun or scala is a burst of wind. And um, in this case, the word skull is very much connected to the the Fianna, who are, of course, the ancient mythological warriors, the heroes of Fionn Macuil, one of our main characters in our in our legends. And so, therefore because that word is associated with them and associated with heroes it perhaps means to do with a burst of energy a burst of power a burst of strength so it's it's commonly considered that it is the stone or the flagstone of the hero or the warrior however i have seen it also spelled with a father on the a which is s-c-a father and that would turn it into a skull instead, um, and that has a completely different meaning because it actually means a supernatural being or a phantom. So I'm not 100% sure on that, but perhaps um, I well, from what I've seen, it's referred to in English as the hero, mostly or warrior. Perhaps it was a mistake that's written down sometimes with an a father because we take it put the father in it, it changes the meaning of the word completely um and of course the area it's in it's called Kilmogue so what is Kilmogue Well, what we referred to kill in so many of the broadcasts so far my podcast and it said um kill is a um church so it's nothing to do with killing anyone and in english it's spelled k-i-l-m-o-g-u-e kilmogue but in irish it's c-i-l-l-m-h-o-father-g and kill so what was it what's the mog referring to or the mog referring to well i there are some who say it's to do with the ancient celtic deity of mogans or mogans but by all accounts that deity appears to be more associated with england and gaul like the ancient celts who lived there now that is before you know in the ancient in ancient times but it and indeed it, in roman times indeed um However, I don't think we have much reference to Morgans in Ireland. However, we do have a guy called Mog Rui. And this is who it said that it actually refers to. So it's the Church of Mog. And Mog Rui is one of the very most powerful Druid deities that we have in our mythology. He's generally, he's like a, he was generally sort of like a power, power Druid. It means the slave of the wheel, Mog Rui, or Rowie sometimes. R-O-T-H or O T H in Ireland, Irish is a wheel, so it's just how it's of the makes it changes the um spelling slightly. And of course we've got old Irish versus newer Irish, so that's again how these names actually change over time. Um but Mog anyway was associated with Munster, mainly Valencia over to Kerry, which is in the southwest. Now Kilkenny is in the southeast of Ireland, in the southeast sort of Inland County, um, in southeast of Ireland, beside Waterford, and it's. But he's, although he's associated with that area, he obviously because he had this amazing flying wheel. The thing about Mog Mar- Rui is he, is his lifestyle is meant to have spanned. Um, many a generation and indeed not only his lifespan but even he's meant to have lived in different eras if you go by the the legends of course a lot of these legends were written down in in christian times and it is interesting because mag was meant to be a quite a a very quite an opponent to christianity which is putting him of course at the time when christianity came into ireland however in some traditions he had died long 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 thousands of years before christianity ever came near the country in other times, he's associated with Cormac Mug Art, who was a few hundred years after the time of Christ. And the reason I'm referring to the time of Christ is because that's actually very relevant to the Mog story, because it is thought that Mog, in some stories, that he actually lived or was, was in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. and there is a story that he was the executioner of John the Baptist. Well, I can imagine that that was probably added in by a monk because it is said that he was he brought a curse onto the Irish people. Well, that would sort of make sense. If you think about you're a monk trying to spread Christianity. So you want to curse a guy in your mythology who was meant to be an extremely powerful druid and really stood for everything that was pagan. So naturally, you'd want to put a little bit of a black mark beside him. What better way than say he brought a curse on the Irish people? so i would take that with a bit of a grain of salt um, to say the least um but he was also meant to have met with simon magus or simon simon magus who was referred to in ancient christian texts um orthodox texts as this magician guy in who lived in um in the middle east and in um in the holy land and he was again, a very powerful, I suppose, a, I suppose a, a Druidic type of man, but he was Christianized eventually, but he also came up against St. Peter. So there's a bit of argy-bargy, a bit of a row between him and Peter. Um, he is meant to have met Mog, Rui, really, and not only meant him, but Mog's meant to become a student, and that Simon helped him to develop this wheel, because he had this ord wheel, this ramach ord wheel, And of course, his name is Slave of the Wheel. And this wheel is said to have been able to bring him around the world wherever he wanted to go as a character. He's very, very formidable looking. He actually he was a he wore a hornless bull hide and a deer mask. And he had a more he had a a chariot, a chariot pulled by oxen and the chariot was filled with jewels. He had a black shield that was filled with like star lights. And if you really think about it, it makes complete sense all of this because obviously this is referring to the universe, to the stars, to the sun, the ord wheel being the, the, the sun moving across the sky, the black shield of the night with the stars on top, you know, shining out through the through the, the, the veil of darkness. He was also, of course, the father of another goddess in Ireland, who was Tlachtga. And Tlachtga, of course, is a goddess associated with the Hill of Tlachta, now known as the Hill of Ward in County Meath, and she is associated with Samhain, the Festival of Sound, because it is believed that it was the Hill of Ward is one of the places that lays claim to being the place where Samhain originated. The first fires of sound were lit, and she herself was a goddess associated with lightning, and as far as the sunlight as well. So we're seeing that she was meant to have learned the traditions and learned the, the the secrets of the universe as it were and became a powerful goddess in her own right because this 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 lightning this this even with him with Ra mag himself mag, uh, Rui Rui, the sun the light the this wheel was meant to be so bright it could blind you so loud it could deafen you so we're already seeing the power of the universe power of nature here and even in wearing the the clothes of a bull hide a bird mask we're seeing a kind of an an animal figure, almost, animus, animal. um What would you say? A, a donning of the animal persona, nearly on top of him. So I think it's really, to me, it's kind of really interesting. And just the fact that you know, here we have this place in in in, I would say, this innocent little place in Kilkenny, Kilmog. Where do you live? I live in Kilmag. But yeah, look at the look at the history behind it. It's The Church of Mag, this amazing ancient druid who would have lived if, well, mythologically in, in a couple of thousand years ago um, and indeed that, but yet associated with a landscape that has a monument, but goes much further back in time. So it's, it's just one little place in, in Kilkenny that just has a wonderful richness attached attached to it. Um, But I'm going to move on now in a moment to a slightly later time, actually much later time, into medieval times. And we'll go, well, no, first of all, early Christian times. And we'll talk a little bit about Kilkenny or Kilkianach, another kil place. And we'll talk about that now in a moment. So now we come to the story of Kilkenny itself Uh kenny comes from the irish kill and it is from the church of canach as we know now kill is a church and canach was a sixth century saint otherwise known as canis in england or in english or in here in ireland or as kenneth in scotland and he was the son of a bard which was the old um the bard would have been the traveling bard, the storyteller who was quite a high quite a high position in society because indeed kings and chieftains relied on their word to spread uh, good news about them, and as well as the, they also spread the word of old mythology of ancient heroes as well. Um, now, Canis, or Cannock did not follow in his footsteps. Instead, he went down the ecclesiastical route, and he studied in Clonard, which was a very, very um, important uh, centre in Ireland for learning at the time, along with a place like Col- Colum, um, sorry, Glen, Glen Column Kill. And, and it was there he met... Um, kill himself or Columba, as he's also known. And he also studied in Glasnevin. He went to Rome. He studied in Wales. He studied in Clonamacnoys himself, and he actually set up a church in St. Andrews in Scotland. So he traveled quite a bit before coming back to Ireland and setting up a church in Ahabo, where a king had given him some land. Ahabo meaning the field of the oxen or the cattle uh, or the cows. And he when he was there, he set up the see of the Bishops. So that is the seat of the bishops, but that moved eventually to Kilkenny and he actually founded a church very near to where the um, present Church of Ireland Cathedral of St. Kansas, is today. So that's really the story behind, um, a very brief story behind uh, Canis or the, 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 the devotion to him that gave the name to the city. Uh, it's also, there's one interesting aspect and that is that he is one uh, saint that is meant to have actually um attacked the druids because uh, uh, kilkenny was one of the was a very druidic place up to the this is, we're talking about sixth century at this time so you're talking a time when ireland was ha- christian pagan very mixed really mixed and is one of the last places to be really converted and it was a, as i say the druids had quite a lot of power there so he actually brought a christian army to fight them and he won so that's an interesting because generally um Generally in Ireland, we have a lot of it was a gradual amalgamation of the two religions to become, you know, Christianity kind of superimposed on top of, uh, of paganism to become eventually Christianity, but quite an Irish version in the, for many a year before it became very much a more Roman church. So um, that's the interesting part about Kilkenny and the story behind it. So it is the Church of Canach. However, I have another interesting story, which I, really, I think is a really interesting story. this um, and we see, we don't have many witch trials in Ireland. And I suppose we've been lucky with that, because unfortunately, so many places in Europe, like, for example, look in Scotland, our neighbours, how many women uh, died at the hands of flawed, uh, false accusers, false accusations hurled at them. Um, in Ireland, that was not the case, really. Uh, and certainly in terms of our, our Gaelic past, I suppose, um, and it's been written about this that that because again and I've referred to quite a lot of times the fact that we had this belief in the paganism and the fact that we had that um under the surface that was re- belief in that other world that that she the fairy world so that woman up the road who did the herbs into the magic as well as a bit of christianity thrown in for good measure she would not have been necessarily communing with the devil she would have instead been communing with the fairies and people were nervous of her afraid of her and yes she might have been condemned from the pulpit But then the church in Ireland, as it became the Catholic church in years to come, was having much power in those days anyhow. And certainly, yes, we know the very puritanical um, uh, Protestant versions, like, for example, the Cromwellian um, uh, Cromwellian sort of uh, thinking, for example, they would have just would would have just not liked anyone, no matter if you're Catholic or it would have been all heresy. So really, they wouldn't have distinguished too much. So in, in other words, there was not that tradition in Ireland of that I suppose absolute fear of um of of demonology in the sense that it had been in 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 other places in europe but this is one of the cases where we 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 hear about it and the woman in question is named. her name was alice kitler now you'll notice that all the names in this story really don't have very very few of them of irish names and that is because we're talking back to the time of the 1200s and uh, in Ireland, early 1300s, was still very Norman. We're talking a very Norman area in the 1200s, the 13th century. Um, so where the art, art of society wouldn't quite divide it. Um, and it's also, like, I want to talk a little bit about Kells Priory, definitely go and visit if you're down there. It's a massive Augustinian Priory, or was, I should say. Um, and it's it's more like a castle, the battlements all around, or the, the walls are about 12 foot high, and every so often we have the slit windows uh, for, to use, uh, for use by boat, uh, soldiers bow and arrows so they could get the angle and, and shoot out uh, through, through them at the approaching enemy or you definitely wouldn't want to be coming with the wrong intention there and I can see why because it was actually it was originally found in 1193 by Geoffrey uh, Fitzrobert Fitz and he was a brother-in-law of uh, Richard Clare otherwise known as Strongbow anyone who knows the Irish history will know that Strongbow was the Norman who invaded Ireland and who of course was in league with our rather traitorous king at the time, Dermot MacMurra, who kind of sold off his daughters, so where Aoife, into marriage, so there'd be an alignment between the Normans and the Irish king, because he wanted to get the Normans to give him a hand, you know, to beat his enemies. But of course they did, and then took over the country. Um, of course, the Normans then, a lot of those Norman families, actually became more Irish than the Irish themselves, as we know, in years to come. And indeed, it was only they, later that, um, that we realized just how how important like they were because they actually became they became leaders of the gaelic as well as you know a, a fighting the crown in many cases although some of them sided with the crown later on too it really depended it became, often came down across whether some of them stayed on the sort of um the gaelic catholic as it were quote unquote tradition as against the now protestant reformation which really was a political thing rather than really a religious really thing to do it. it was really to do with recognizing the king as head of the church head of the state mm-hmm. and all of that so it became it's it's quite a complicated situation not so straightforward so anyway this um this priory was heavily um attacked over the years by people like william de birmingham and rich edward bruce brother robert bruce of scotland and again by birmingham and fitzgerald in the 1300s before it was finally dissolved in 1540 40. but it's also associated with a, a bishop bishop Richard Dilladred, it's a great name, Dilladred, but anyway, he was Bishop of Ossery, which is that general area, and he had a synod there in 1324. The reason I mention him is because he's associated with this whole witch hunt. Now, um, there was a woman called Alice Kittler, as I say, her name is become synonymous with witchcraft in Ireland, the first real person to be condemned for witchcraft, indeed, in Ireland, and for someone to die the stake on behalf, but when we find out who it was in a minute, who that was. So Alice was the daughter, actually, of Flemish um, merchants. And she was very, very comfortably off, very well off woman. She was married four times, which kind of aroused a bit of suspicion, to be honest, because it kind of, yeah, well, there was a f- couple of dodgy, mm, dodgy kind of endings to a couple of the husbands, it seems. A lot, of, a lot of fingers point in her direction. But of course, remember being a woman and being powerful also would not have been a help. Her first husband was William Outlaw and he was a money lender. And of course she got into the whole money lending business too. And he had a son, William Outlaw, who their son, who was um, became mayor of Kilkenny. So she, there was a lot of power in this family, massive amount of power on her behalf as well. So when he died, she she married a guy called Adam Blund. He was also a money lender and he had, children from a previous marriage, but anyway the two of them were actually condemned initially in 1302 of killing the first husband but somewhere although they I managed to get out of that, but there was a lot of resentment against her because it was all fingers pointing "Hmm, we know what you're at, her third husband was Richard Devala, and he was another wealthy landowner in County Tipperary and see after he died she looked for what was called her widow's dower and she she actually sued her stepsons so all of this started to get this you know, uh, idea that there was something amiss with her, that she was up to no good and that she was looking for money, but also that she might have been some kind of witch. But her fourth husband, who was Jean de Poire, or Le Poir, he became uh, her defender initially. And in fact, when when it was actually the bishop, Richard de, de la Drede, he had it in for. He was disgusted at her. He really believed that she was a heretic. And not only that, he thought that she had killed these people. But back then, it was actually funny enough, I was looking up a little bit about it and it wasn't that easy to get it. it was to get actually really um, done for murder. It was easier to get acquitted for murder, funnily enough. But to be a heretic, it was easier to be condemned as a heretic. Um, now, John Le Poir was quite powerful uh, himself, and he actually imprisoned the Bishop Richard de la Dredde, and to try and take the heat off Hitler, uh, obviously. But he only stayed in prison for a short while because while he was bishop, he was able to say that he would not allow any um, masses, any religious ceremonies to go ahead while he was in prison. And it kind of, there was a big push for him to be let out. And he was, and of course he pursued her again. And also, um, Le Puerre now at this stage was not well. And he was beginning to think that he was, um, he was being poisoned, um, perhaps by herself. Uh, so there was, so there was a lot of, a lot of um, um, uh, ill feeling towards her. Um, most of her stepchildren, and of course her, um, her the, the bishop, and uh, except her her son, her firstborn son William, because everything seemed to be favouring him and her in their eyes. They all thought that she was doing everything for William, and they didn't care about her. And she was quite prepared to steal off everybody, and that she was going to um, basically just skin them alive in terms of their their, their wealth and their inheritance. And um, so the bishop, there a whole lot of um, accusations were put against her, that she was communing with the devil, that she was involved in a coven of witches. And she had a servant. Her name was Petronella de Mead, another Norman name. And poor Petronella was captured and tortured and confessed. And William confessed. But William was able to pay his way out of the whole thing. And he spent a little small time in prison. Meantime, Kitler herself managed to get away to England, because she had powerful friends, and she went away, and she was never heard of again, ever. Where Petronella, unfortunately, was tortured to the point of, as say, confession, and there were, there was, she was, she was supposedly sacrificing animals to demons. Petronella believed she had seen the de- devil, that there was this, there was that um, Kitler had a relationship with an incubus that there was a covenant of meetings that meant that burning candles in a church at night. And there was these, there was a whole coven. There was Robert of um, Bristol. There was Petronella herself to me, then a daughter. There was John and Ellen the Gal Russen, There was Anota Lange. There was Eva de Bronston, William Payne de Boyle, and Alice Farrar. And all of these people, you can hear all of these, these were all Norman names, as you notice, but all of these were, um, all of these were accused. However, it was poor Petronella that was finally burnt at the stake. And she, with the rest of them, we, none of them actually that we know of were actually, um, they, we, they got, just got convictions, but they were never actually, they were never burnt at the stake. And it's, it's such, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it just shows you again, and like in all of these cases that money talks, and she had the power and the money and she had the people that she knew in the background who would get her away on a boat to England where she would never be heard of again. And eventually the bishop, he died much later. Um, but Alice Kittler, we don't know. We just know she died sometimes after 1324. Her house is still there in Kilkenny. And indeed, we went past it yesterday and it's very interesting And to see it there. And it's now a, a pub uh, slash restaurant place now. And uh, yeah, so it's it's, a, it's really really interesting to see this, the history that's in Kilkenny. I would highly recommend it as a place to go. And I thought I'd leave you with that little story. I'm actually coming to the end of the podcast because I can't go over my 30 minutes, so I have to stop it now. Uh, I could go on and on and on. To be honest, I really could. So I just want to say thank you so much for listening. go mealy mealy mele, maha And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoyed the story of the um, of of the. Ancient world, right up to medieval world. Highly recommend Kilkenny is a place to go. And uh Slang-a-fool.